0: I'm sure that uh, many of you have heard by now some good news that our family will be expanding in about eight months. That's right. Sean's pregnant. (laughs) I'm just I'm kidding. That's not it. That is definitely not it. Uh, Our daughter, our oldest daughter, Brooks, engaged to be getting married here in about eight months. And for those of you that are the inquiring minds that want to know, because several people have tried to ask me, you know, kind of privately, okay, what do you really think about this guy? So I'll just tell you publicly what I really think about this guy. I really love him. He's a great guy. Uh, and yes, we will. Uh, it will be an emotional experience to you know walk her down the aisle and give her away and all that. But I look at it more as gaining a son than giving up a daughter. Uh, and anytime you are expanding your family in, a, in, in a, uh, a positive light like that, that's an exciting thing. But you know, thinking about that got me also thinking about something else this week. There are times and there are stories that you hear about, that, that go the other direction. Where rather than families being built into, families are being torn apart. And people in some cases are being kicked out of their families. I read a few stories about that. Sometimes it may involve things like a person coming to faith in Christ. And coming from a family that does not share that same faith. And in some cases, uh, they are completely disowned from that family. There are other cases. I read another story of somebody else coming from a different culture and dating a person that wasn't from that culture. And the family said, if that's the route you're going to go, then you're no longer our daughter. We're not going to have anything to do with you. I mean, you hear of those things. And I was thinking about it thought I cannot think of anything more painful or more difficult to deal with than to be kicked out of a family that you love and that you thought loved you. So that raises a really good question for those of us that consider ourselves to be part of God's family. The question is this, can you ever get kicked out? Can, can you ever, once you become part of God's family, can you lose your salvation? Can you cease to be a child of God once you have been brought into the family of God? And that's going to be our question that we're going to talk about today. We're going to dig into, as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians, I'd love for you to open your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to start with just the first couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verses 1 and 2, says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want... To remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. So what exactly does that mean? To say that you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Or otherwise, you believed in vain. And I want to jump into that. I think the key to understanding This passage is the emphasis that he has on the gospel that he preached to them. Makes that very clear. And you see that uh, repeated two or three times just in these couple of verses that he's talking about this particular message that they received is this message that, that they have also taken their stand on. And it's this gospel that is so important. Now, if we're unclear at all about what this gospel is, keep reading in verse 3 it says for what i received i passed on to you as of first importance that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to cephas and then to the 12 after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep then he appeared to james then to all the apostles and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born Interesting that when Paul says, let me tell you, let me give you in a nutshell what the gospel is, he talks about the death of Christ, his crucifixion, his burial, and then he spends the majority of his time talking about the resurrection. Let me tell you what I think is going on here when he's he's making this strong case that if you hold firmly to this word that was preached to you, if it's this gospel, then you're going to be saved, there was a problem in that culture. And that problem was that, that some in the church in Corinth were discounting the importance of the resurrection. And we'll see that we're actually going to spend a couple of weeks in that the next couple of Sundays as we continue on in chapter 15. Because chapter 15 is a really long chapter. I think it's Around 60 verses or so. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks working through the rest of chapter 15 in the weeks to come. But it's all about the importance of the resurrection. And the fact that he hit so hard and spends so much time talking about the reality of the resurrection should indicate to us that there were some that didn't believe in the importance of the resurrection or maybe denied it altogether. And so what he's saying here is that you cannot pick and choose which parts of the gospel that you want to believe and any so-called gospel message that does not include an emphasis on a literal bodily resurrection of jesus from the dead is really not the gospel message and if you believe that then you're believing in vain which that term means to believe in something is it's just completely useless there's no value there's no benefit in it uh it's kind of i look at it kind of like this you know the 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 gospel is not a buffet that we go through and we pick and choose what we want to add to our plate, right? Because if we did that, our plates, spiritually, would end up looking a lot like my kids' plates look like when they went to a buffet. Nothing but things like pizza and gummy bears and candy sprinkles on the plate, right? You know what I'm talking about? Just pick out the good stuff that you like and leave everything else behind. We can't do that. It is what it is, and the gospel message is... What it is, but there evidently were those out there teaching something other than the true gospel message. And we get that in Galatians 1 6 through 9. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now listen to this next statement, how powerful this is. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. See, obviously... The threat of false gospels was a big deal back then, and it still is. It still is a significant threat that we take portions of the gospel and either leave them out, parts that we are uncomfortable with, we leave out, or we add to the gospel. I mean, there are religious groups that look. I think about groups like Jehovah's Witnesses and and uh, Latter Day Saints and groups like that 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 use a lot of the same terminology that we use, but but they're adding things to that gospel message or removing things from it that perverts that gospel. It makes it something other than the gospel that we have in Scripture that that Paul preached. Or there are even some within what we would consider more Christian circles that add things to the gospel message. There are groups that that say, you know, you have to, for example, uh, be baptized in order to be saved. Or it's not just grace that you're saved by in faith, but it's faith plus works is what allows a person to be saved. I mean, it's really important that we understand that this is still a, an issue today, and it's important that we hold to this, this really uh, clear gospel message that is outlined in verses three through eight. You know there's really not any room for us, if we understand the gospel. There's not any room for us to take any credit for our own salvation. We don't earn it in the first place. Therefore, there's really no way that we can lose it because we never earned it to begin with. This is a gift that we receive, and we'll see that as we, as we jump into this passage here uh, in just a little bit. But one of the things that is, is very clear is that what we believe is so very important. It's not enough just to be sincere, right? And that's, that's the belief that a lot of folks have. You know, as long as you believe what you believe and you're sincere about that, um, then you'll be okay. It's really not true, I mean, I can sincerely believe with all of my heart that leprechauns are real. But it doesn't make it so. I mean, sincerity in our belief is not enough. We need to actually believe the right thing. So how do we know then that we have truly uh, believed this this gospel? Well, let's talk about it. Uh, A couple things that we see here in this passage. Actually, I guess three things that we see. And the first one, it says, is that they received the gospel. Do you see that, verse 1? Remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. If we're really understanding the gospel clearly, then we're understanding that we need to receive this message. Now, it's important for us, too, to, to differentiate between knowing about the gospel and having knowledge about God and about Christ and who He is and actually receiving the gospel. I mean, the the things that he talks about in verses 3 through 8 that we read a moment ago about Christ dying for sins and being raised from the dead and appearing to all these different people, you can believe all of that information without truly receiving the gospel, right? You can have the the facts up here. You can have the knowledge. You can know about all of this stuff and yet not really receive the gospel. We we have... um, a friend and maybe more of an acquaintance, really, I, sh- I should say, than somebody that's a close friend. Uh, but somebody that, that, that our family knows, that knows a lot about God. Knows a lot about the Bible and, and enjoys trying to describe how much he knows about the Bible. But we're pretty, pretty confident he doesn't have a relationship with Christ. There's never been a time where he has truly received the gospel message. It's one thing to say, I know it, and I can spew information about it. It's a totally different thing to say that I have received it by faith, that I have trusted in this gospel message. And in, in Matthew 7, Jesus uh, explains something that really makes this clear. And when we read this, this ought to really shake us up a little bit. Matthew seven twenty one through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, Jesus is talking about people, and he's talking about what will happen on the judgment day. And he's saying there will be people that will stand before him that will say, look at all these wonderful things we have done in your name. We have, we have driven out demons. We have spoken in your name. We have done all this stuff for you. And Jesus is going to say to them, away from me. And the reason that he's going to say that, what does he say? I never, what? I never knew you. I never knew you. You, you may have done all of these things in my name. You may have performed well and done many of the things that you know that you're supposed to do, that followers of mine are supposed to do. But I never knew you. I never had a a relationship with you. That's the key. Now, some might read this passage and and ask the question, Okay, well, what does it mean when Jesus said, Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven is the one who's, who's, who's going to be saved. What does it mean then to say, That means we have to do something, right? See, there it is, Pastor. It says right there, The one has to do what God commands. And that's true, but in John six twenty nine, listen to what Jesus said when he was asked the question, "What must we do in order to fulfill the work that God demands?" Jesus answered, John six twenty nine, "The work of God is this: to believe in the one He has sent." And that's it. See, in the Bible, this concept of believing and receiving the gospel are are united. They they basically are the same thing. To receive the gospel means to truly believe in Jesus. It means that there is a submission to Christ as Lord. It means that there is an acknowledgement of our own sinfulness. There is a turning away from that sin. There is a putting of one's faith or trust in Jesus. That's what it looks like to believe. And so believing in Jesus is all about us putting faith in Him... But we just need to make sure that we are putting our trust and our faith in this correct gospel. Going back to Matthew 7, again, the reason that some would be sent away, it wasn't because they didn't do enough good things. It's because he said, I never knew you. There was never a relationship there to begin with. So, let me just pause right here and ask you a question that we'll come back to at the end of our time together. It's a simple question. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Not do you know about him, not could you give me information, but do you have a relationship with Jesus? See, that's, that's really what it's all about. And that's what he is commending those that, that really did understand um, the gospel here that he is communicating to them is, you receive this. And to receive it means that you brought it, uh, you, you, you took it in by faith. Well, once that happens... Once you receive the gospel, meaning that you surrender to Christ and and allow Him to be Lord of your life, and you're saying, I'm not in charge anymore. You come to a point of acknowledging that God's plans are better than my plans. His way is better than my way. I can't get there on my own. I'm sinful. I fall short. But Christ died to pay for all that. Jesus died in my place. And when we understand that and we trust in him, then that becomes the foundation on which everything else is built. And that's the second thing that he says there. Not only did he say that they, that they received it, but it says you received and on which you have taken your stand. So here's the second thing they did that indicated that they were truly following Christ is that they stood on the gospel. They received it, but once they received it, then they stood on it. They said, this is is going to be our foundation from this point forward. And that's true for every single one of us. When you trust in Christ, that's not the end of the story, right? That's really just the beginning. You come to a point of receiving the gospel. And then from that point on, you build your life on the foundation of who Christ is. You stand. You take your stand on the gospel. Do you remember what Jesus had to say about the importance of building on the right foundation? Again, in, in Matthew, in fact, just before, and I believe it's uh, the chapter just before, or maybe even the same chapter, right before the passage that I quoted a moment ago, Jesus talks about building your house either on the sand or on the, on the rock. And the point that he's making when he's telling this story, he says there, there were two people that built houses and one was built on the sand, and it says that the, the rains came down, the winds blew, and the, ha- the house just came crashing down because it didn't have a solid foundation. It was built on the sand. But the house that was built on the rock had a solid foundation. And so the same, by the way, notice this, the same rains came, the same storm came. Just because you're building on the rock doesn't mean you're not going to have storms in your life. Doesn't mean there's not going to be difficulties and troubles. What it means is that your house doesn't come crumbling down when those things come. And so the one built on the solid foundation was able to withstand the storm. See, the, the problem is, That Sometimes we try to build things or we try to stand on something that is not solid. And if we do that, then the end result is going to be disastrous. Let me share you a little story of how I learned that firsthand. Many, many years ago, Sean and I were fairly new in our home. We moved in in 2004. I would guess it was sometime within the first couple of years, year or so of when we moved in. Uh, we had decided to, uh, she was kind of uh, decorating the home and, and figuring out where, what to put where. And so our, our house is a two-story house where the, the uh, kitchen is, you know, has a lower ceiling, but the, the den area opens up. And so there's a wall that kind of, a large wall that kind of goes up and comes back down and, and, and uh, uh, big open space, Right. And so my, my, my decorator wife here is looking at that going, now that big open space would probably be a good spot for something that would look nice. You know, maybe even something that would be functional would be a good thing there. And so she thought, you know what, I, I got a good idea. She bought one of those massive clocks. You know, it's kind of a decorative, but I mean, big old clock. And we're going to hang that big clock up there on the wall. So... I went across the street, and the, you know my little A-frame ladder wasn't going to be tall enough to get up there, so I, my neighbor had an extension ladder, so I borrowed the extension ladder, and I brought it back over, and I was going to hang that clock up on the wall. In fact, I think we have a, a picture here. Do we have that? Just to give you a visual of that wall, okay? You might notice that there's not a clock on that wall right now. <laughs> Let me tell you why there's not a clock on that wall, because that wall is, you know, and you can tell it's... it's a pretty good height, and I've got my extension ladder up on the wall. Well, at the time, this was long enough ago that Autumn, who's 19 years old now, uh, was still taking naps. She was little and so Sean went upstairs. She was going to put her down for a nap. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to get the super husband award by hanging this clock before she comes back down from the nap. She's going to be so impressed with me. This is going to be wonderful. I'm going to get that clock up there. It's going to all be good. And so she goes up. I don't tell her I'm going to do this. She goes up to put on down for a nap. And I get the ladder up real quick. I put it up against the wall. And you know I lean it up there. And I grab my big old clock in my right hand. And I start to kind of gingerly make my way up the ladder. And I'm getting up there. And I get all the way up. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be okay. And I'm trying to figure out how to make this work. When all of a sudden I feel this little whoop, Something just shifts. And I realize... This ladder that I borrowed had, was missing the rubber feet at the bottom of the ladder, and I put it on a tile floor. That's not a good plan. So here I am on top of the ladder with this the bottom of it, because it's not on a solid foundation, begins to slip. And next thing we know, I'm like, there's nothing I can do about this. It just slips out, and I'm you know, probably eight feet up in the air, or whatever it is, and just come crashing down on the ground, Smash the clock into a thousand pieces. Sean hears the noise, comes running out of the room, looks down and sees me sprawled out like a spider on the ground. I mean, just, you know, just sprawled out everywhere. I'm not moving. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I can move or not. I'm going to take it a little easy and find out. She comes running down to me with just this look of terror and concern on her face. And she asked me one question She said, What hurts the most? And I thought about it for a minute. And I looked at her and I said, my wallet, (laughs) because that clock was expensive and I just shattered it into a thousand pieces. Now, thankfully, that really was, I was able to get up and walk away a little bit sore for a little bit, some scratches from, you know, the ladder coming down, but that was about it. Could have been much worse. But it was a great reminder to me that if you are going to expect something to hold you up that isn't on a solid foundation you're going to be in trouble guys listen to me the gospel will never slide out from under you it will never let you down you can take your stand on the gospel message and it will be solid from this day through the rest of eternity we don't have to worry about that and once we understand what this message really is then we realize not only do we receive it by faith but we can stand on it, we can live in it for the rest of our lives. But then it says after that, it says the gospel that I preached to you, you received it, you've taken your stand on it. And then verse 2, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Now this is where it gets fun I want to talk about this one. For a minute here. But here's the third thing that he says here. This, by this gospel, you are saved. Literally what this says is, you are being saved. And that, that, that's important because, well, I'll get into that in a minute. Here's the point. Is that they were being sanctified. That's, that's what this means when it says here that you are being saved. That they are being sanctified. Meaning that, that their life is being transformed to reflect the character of Christ. See, when it comes to our salvation, there is a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. It is true to say that we have been saved, that we are being saved, and that we will be saved. And the Bible uses all three of those. The past tense, to say that we have been saved, means that we have been rescued from the penalty of our sin. Because what Jesus has done on the cross, he he has paid that penalty for us. The essence of of sin is that it separates us from God, right? The wages of sin is death. And the essence of what death is, death is separation. And so when the Bible says that our sin brings with it the the wages of that being death, it means that we're separated from God in this life, yes, yes but for the rest of eternity. Well, when we say that we have been saved, what we're saying is that that penalty of death or separation from God has been removed. So our eternity is secure at the point that we truly trust in Christ. The Bible says that we are marked in Him with this promised Holy Spirit. He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. At that point, we are born into the family of God. So we have been saved. But there is also another aspect of, this is kind of the taking your stand part of it. Yes, we receive the gospel, so we have been saved. But we stand on the gospel, meaning that we are being saved. That God is in the the process of making us, developing our, changing our character to reflect the character of Christ. Anybody else out there say, I'm definitely still a work in progress and being transformed into the image of Christ, right? We realize that. We realize that we are not a finished product yet however we should be able to see the evidence of the fact that we are being saved right we are being sanctified our hearts are being changed our, our, our character is developing into more likeness of Christ not that we don't mess up or, or make mistakes but that we can look at our lives and say, well, yeah, I can see I used to be this way before I came to Christ. But since I've come to Christ, God has done this in my life and this and this and this. And, this, and he's beginning to change me. I was reading in Colossians chapter 1 Friday morning just in my devotional time in verse 10. Uh, in Colossians 1.10 it talks about how we are to live a life worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way. I think that's what he's talking about here. As we are being saved, we are living a life that is worthy of the Lord, which is pleasing to God. I think it's really, really important to point out the fact that we are not seeking to earn God's favor. That's not what it means when it says, please him in every way. It's not saying that if you do enough good things for God, then he will suddenly be pleased with you and you will be allowed to become part of the family of God. I look at it the other way around and say, when you have a relationship with somebody that you love, you desire to please that person. You don't do it to earn their love. You do it because you are loved. And because you're loved, you desire to please them. That's what he's saying here, uh, is that his prayer for the Colossian believers would be that this overflow of their love for God would be a desire to please Him. Well, that's, that's this whole process of sanctification, Now, for those of us, that's the the present tense. So, have been saved, are being saved, but there is a future tense as well, and that is that we will be saved. What we will be saved means is that the day is coming when we will no longer fight this battle that we are fighting with sin today. We will no longer have to deal with all the mess that this world has to offer. We'll no longer, the Bible talks about the place where there'll be no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. That's what we have to look forward to. This is our future. This is our eternity. And that happens either at the point when this life ends for us as followers of Jesus, as those who have been saved. We get to be saved in the future too. That happens when you die as a believer or when Jesus comes back. Whichever of those two happens first. And at that point, we will be saved, meaning that this battle is going to be over. Anybody else think, man, that... I need to hear that, and I need to be reminded of that, that we will not be fighting the same battle forever. And the reality is, guys, that we do fight a battle. When we're talking about how our lives are transformed, our hearts are transformed, that doesn't mean that we don't mess up because, I mean, I think about Romans chapter 7, Paul of all people, right? This is the apostle Paul talked about the things that I want to do I don't do and the things that I don't want to do I end up doing and, and it's sin in me and there's just this ongoing battle. So, we're not talking about being perfect in this life. We're talking about being transformed and moving more in that direction but we're never going to ultimately achieve it. But, We had this to look forward to, this future tense of we will be saved. Well, I think what he's talking about here in verse 2 is the present tense. It's this process of sanctification. And it says by this gospel, again, let me emphasize, it has to be the right gospel. We're not removing parts of it or adding to it. But by this gospel that he outlines in verses 3 through 8, you are being saved. You're being sanctified if... You hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. I think what he's saying here is that if there's not some evidence of this sanctifying process, if there's not some evidence that that our lives are being changed in some way, then we have believed in vain. We have believed either a false gospel. We have convinced ourselves that something is true that in fact is not. You see, the issue here isn't... That we might lose our salvation. But the issue really is that we might think we have it when we don't. That's, that's the challenge. Is to think because I have information. Or because I know enough. Or because I think I'm a good person. Or because I just know that Jesus died and rose again. That that's enough for me. There has to be a point of surrender. And the way Jesus described it, you know, in the passage right before, I talked about Matthew 7 earlier, the away from me, I never knew you. Right before that, Jesus is talking about how to recognize false prophets. And he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And it's, he goes on and says, you know, do, do you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles or whatever? He said, you know, he's like, you will know what kind of tree a tree is by the fruit that it produces. So here's the bottom line for us if there's not the production of some type of fruit, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those those aspects, if we're not able to look at our lives and say, there's evidence that God is transforming me and changing me into something that I used to not be, then that should cause us to question, have I believed in vain? Is there something that I have missed? So, bottom line, can you lose your salvation? No. No. But you can fool yourself into thinking that it's there when, in fact, it may not really be. So it's time to wrap up. Let's wrap it up with this. I just want to encourage you. I, I, I suspect that the majority of you are pretty confident where you are in your faith in Christ. But, but that's probably not the case with everybody, either here or those that are watching with us online. So I want to just end with this invitation to make sure that you have received this true gospel. This gospel that says, I have to acknowledge my sin, that Jesus died on the cross for me, rose from the dead. That's the gospel message that we have to believe. And if there's never been a time where you've truly received it, and by that I mean put your trust in Christ. Not just know information, but truly receive the gospel so that it changes you on the inside. I just want to lead you through a prayer that we could pray together. A prayer of trust and faith. It goes like this. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. And if you need it, the words are on the screen to this prayer. You can pray this at home. You can pray it here if you're with us. But this is a prayer, a sample prayer of how you might turn your life over to Christ. Let's bow and pray together. And if your desire is to trust in Christ today, then I urge you to just pray this in your heart. God, I confess to you that I'm sinful. Thank you for loving me and wanting me anyway. Right now, I turn away from my sin. And I receive you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, that that is the most significant, most important decision we could ever make. And so if that was a prayer that you prayed for the first time, I want you to let us know. For your own benefit and for ours. We want to celebrate with you. It will help you solidify that to let it be known. Uh, You can share that with us or... Anything else, if God is stirring your heart, maybe your decision isn't so much about receiving Christ for the first time. Maybe it's, I need to make a commitment to plug into the body of Christ. I need to join this church. I need to find a place to serve. I need to start giving. I need to start just being who God wants me to be. That would be a wonderful next step as well. Whatever it is, you can text that word response to the number that's on the screen. Send you back a little form. You can just let us know. Receive Christ. I want to join the church. I want to be baptized. Whatever it may be. Which, by the way, next Sunday we're going to have some baptisms. So this will be a great time if you've not been baptized as a believer to say I want to do that and have the opportunity to do that next week. But whatever it is, God is stirring in your heart. Just want to encourage you to respond. You can do that electronically, but you can also do that. Uh, in a, a personal way, if you're here uh, worshiping with us in person, then you can do that by meeting with, with my wife, Sean, and I right across the hall as soon as we move into our response time. So we'll be over there. You can just slip out into the hallway and you can come see us and, and share with us whatever's on your heart. Pray with us. Let us know what God is doing. Let's stand together if we could. And as we just prepare uh, for our time here, just to to to, to allow God to... To do his thing. That's really the bottom line. Whatever it is that God is stirring you to do. As our team leads us through a response. We just want to encourage you to be faithful to that. If you want to slip out and come see us. Right across the hall. We'll just be a couple steps away. Right on the other side of the doors there. We look forward to seeing you.